Episode 980. I've had enough of these Nephilim. Title of the year. I, I didn't know if it was going to work, but it did. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. And I'm Ben DiBono, and we're here to talk about the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Now, Ben... What? What are they? What are they? Where do they come from? Find out tonight. Well, I did say this at the end of the news episode we just recorded, but it's worth repeating. This is the second entry in our Redemption episode series. Now, I I was just joking with you about this at the end of the news episode, but I, I can't remember when we first named these Redemption episodes, but my idea was... Ben, you were redeeming yourself because you missed some episodes in season two. Yeah, no. So we're going to redo some of the episode topics that you never had a chance to speak into. So this is your redemption. But then you actually thought. Yeah, that, that I'm redeeming the horrible job that was done. Without you. Without me. <laughs> Which just makes me feel bad. But thank you anyways. Well, Thanks for being here tonight. It's true. So it was episode 69, The Nephilim Conspiracy. We released this on July 1st, 2012. Ben, what were you up to in July of 2012? Um, well, I wasn't having a kid that year, which is unusual yeah. for the last decade. So just quickly throw it out there. Like, what years did you have kids in? 2000. Oh, so in three all, different all decades. Two, 2008, uh, 2010, 2014, 2016, 2018, and 2020. Wow. So you do next year. That's where we record this. Yeah. Uh, as we record this, my oldest turns 13 tomorrow. That is crazy. Congratulations. Thank you. To both of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and I, I don't know if you're if you're well. We have to talk about our Dune plans, but if you do come Thursday night, she's going to come with us because she's read the books twice now. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'm in for Thursday night. Our friends had asked us if we would be interested in going Friday, but I, you and I have been saying all along opening night. Yeah, so I'll be there. Yeah, so the, there me, was no you, chance and your daughter. Was, yeah, we've never done that before. No, she will can, she be on the show? Of course. Okay, that's great. She has a, a House Atreides shirt. That she's going to wear. Anyway, back to the Nephilim. All right, so the Nephilim, Ben. So this is your chance. I I, I will time loop this original episode. That's part of this, the deal with the redemption episodes. So I don't remember what I said back in 2012. But I want to... Who cares what I think? Right. Well, let's hear what Ben thinks about Nephilim. Here we are. You've you've done some research. You read the book of Enoch, or at yeah, least started uh, it. Yeah. Did you uh, finish Enoch? I, I think so. Uh, the, uh, we started researching this episode like two years ago. Like two ago. years ago, yeah. we were preparing to do this episode. Right. No, this gets it gets wild. And here's my promise to the audience, uh, which is that by the end of tonight's episode, you're going to be prepared for any Nephilim you happen to encounter. That's my promise to to the listeners tonight. Uh, and I bet the, the episode 69 didn't do that. No, I'm sorry. I bet there was zero, zero pre- preparation. For, for encountering a Nephilim. But uh, that's not going to be the case tonight. Uh, okay, so just to get everybody level set with all the stuff everybody probably already knows about the Nephilim. So you have uh, this passage that's in Genesis 6, I believe, right before the flood. There's this reference to the uh, the fallen... How okay, does it pull I, it? Can I'll you pull it, it up? I'll Can you pull it? Because let's get this exact yes, in I here. like that you're asking for this. Me, I'll, I'll get it right now. Yeah, so there's this passage in, in Genesis that seems to refer to the Nephilim as what is often interpreted as fallen angels who are having r- relations of a non-Platonic kind, yeah, here we sex, go. with humans. I'll read it. So right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. 
when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So that's that's kind of this nice little ambiguous section that the Bible throws out there. Yeah, and then it goes directly from that, what I just read, straight into the flood story. Right. Um, you know, it, I was reflecting today on, on my upbringing as I was thinking about this episode because I was raised in a... A, a evangelical church that you know was young earth creationist so lots of lots of time spent on creationism lots of time spent on the flood we covered surprisingly little about demons having sex with humans really very little nothing like, on the the flannel gla- that, ground that was that was not a big topic for as much time as there was devoted to early genesis this didn't come up a lot i i think that's why people are intrigued by it because it's right there front and center, early in one of the most popular books, and we never discuss it. And we don't exactly even know what it means. Right. So, and what's interesting is that there are these kind of vague references to it. And depending on how you interpret certain things, uh, you can find, you can you can count more or less references to the Nephilim throughout scripture. For example, in the book of Sirach, which of course is, is Catholic, so you, you prodies are going to have to just deal with that for a second. Uh I, I texted you when I was reading that a few weeks ago that there's a ref, just a vague, you know, kind of throw out there reference to the the Nephilim. Uh, you know, nothing major, of course, but uh, it's it's out there. Yeah. And there's a few things like that here and there. Uh, it's also where, and we'll get into more of this I- I- shortly, but there's also a question of do you conflate the Nephilim with giants? Well, right. That's a good question because it is... That when you actually translate that word, it can be loosely translated as giants. Right. And so then we start to get into like the book of Numbers has these references to giants. Of course, there's Goliath. There's all of this that's going on. I was going to bring up Goliath because some people would lump him into the Nephilim category. Yes. Or at least, you know, one way you could take it is we have the Nephilim crossbreeding with humans. So presumably you have like half Nephilim, half human child well, and that you know those are the descendants that you're seeing yeah, well, that's what it says these were the mighty men who were of old the men of renown that these are the children born to them right and so it, there's there's a few different ways you could take this now we talk about how there isn't a ton in scripture in you know in the, in the bible old testament whether we talk catholic bible or, or protestant old testament but when you start to get into the true uh apocrypha and the pseudepigraphical books and all these all this other literature when you say true apocrypha you mean outside of the doodle doodle canonical books yeah i mean the one that we'd all agree mm-hmm. those are not part of the canon right uh so they're they're you know books like the book of enoch and jubilees and all of that you've got references to the nephilim all over the place you know in there as these angelic beings and all of that so and i think where that's valuable isn't to try and bring it in and say you know it's authoritative in any type of way from a theological perspective but where it is interesting is that you have to understand that well we are intrigued by this passage well maybe not my church that left it off the flannel graph but so was ancient judaism mm-hmm. like this was the whole topic of the nephilim and all of this is to some degree, part of the larger mythological thinking of ancient Judaism. And I'm just going to throw out the standard caveat that when I use mythology, especially when I use it in reference to scripture, it doesn't mean untrue, and it doesn't even mean 
unhistorical. It means ahistorical, which is to say that it is a mythological reference. It is not relevant to the original meaning of that passage, whether or not it is describing history or not. So it, it could be historical or it could not be historical. Now, there's degrees to that. Like theologically, as a Catholic, I affirm the historical reality of original sin. Okay. But the concept of original sin and told as told in Genesis is crouched within not a historical narrative. It's crouched within a mythological narrative. And that's a very important distinction to understand. That doesn't mean that original sin didn't historically happen. Again, as a Catholic, I affirm that. But it does mean that if you were to go back in time, like with a, a, a video camera, you're not going to record somebody live acting out, you know, the the events of Genesis 2 and 3 and all of that in the way that they're recorded. What's trying to be communicated is truth in the form of myth. And that's important for this discussion. So this is, again, I mean, this would be a little bit of a controversial belief. We have discussed it before. I think you and I would differ a little bit where we'd both be open to the idea of Genesis 1 being a non-historical account, but I do think Genesis 2 through 11 yeah, are historical. Yeah, and so we, we've been down this before. I, know. I, I just <clears> wanted to make note of it. You don't actually believe that. I know you think you do, and I know you <clears throat> you gen- genuinely believe you believe that, but you don't actually believe that, because when we dig into the details, you always concede that history as we mean it, and as you mean it, doesn't actually exist. I guess I just want to make sure people hear. I like, they want to, s- everybody knows you're the good Christian. What, what do you say that? No, what do you say that makes it seem like you may not believe Adam and Eve are real people, which I think is possible that you don't believe that, right? Like, you don't... I don't know if they were or not. Like I, I would say I, I they definitely the were that, real people. I guess in the sense that original sin is a historic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say more likely than not there was a historical Adam and Eve. But even affirming that, like this is where I say you don't actually yeah. believe what you say you believe, which I think I know you believe you believe it. So I'm not <laughs> accusing you of hypocrisy, but to affirm that Adam and Eve were historical people is not the same thing as affirming that Genesis 2 and 3 are history. Those are two separate conversations. Okay. I, I do, and I know we shouldn't go down that road today. We've talked about it before, but uh, it, yeah, it does set up what we're going to talk about today as this falls right in Genesis 6, which is in the middle of a controversial section of the full Bible. Yeah, and and it, it's interesting. I mean, well, we don't want to go down that road entirely. It is an interesting road to go down because I was thinking about the Nephilim and thinking about, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that this, of course, doesn't come up in Sunday school. Of course, it wouldn't. Though, you know, mass genocide of the entire human race does because there's animals. But it's like going to the zoo, but with murder. Uh, so... In, not that it's murder if God does it. He, he couldn't judge whoever he wants. But yeah, lots of death. Lot, heavy on the death. I like how you cover that up. Like, just in case God's listening. <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure if God subscribes. But <laughs> I just don't want people to think I was like, anti-God. You know? right. What's he doing so with that mean. blood? <laughs> um, so, but, but it is interesting because if you take a literal view of Genesis 1 to 11, and I'm talking the very literal young earth creationist, it, all of that view of all of this, so not the not the kind yeah. of historical view that that, that you're landing on. Uh, what do you do with this? Because this is really, really rather bizarre. What you have to do with it? So I, I, I was thinking about it, and I think there's a few different ways um, that you could take this. So number one, you could take it as that this is just. You know, it's just the Bible picking up, um, 
larger mythology that's going on in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, the fact that there's this reference to mighty men, you know, mighty heroes of old, that to me, and I, I'm, this is a non-scholarly, non-researched uh, a view of it, but this is that definitely seems as though it's an interaction of some kind with historical literature. I mean, it's clearly not a reference to you know Greek myth, but when you think of like mighty heroes, you're thinking of the Achilles and Odysseus and Aeneas and all of all of these that type of demigod-like hero. And indeed, when we get into world myth, including Greek myth, and again, I'm not claiming there's an interaction. I'm just using it as a comparison for ways that human cultures think about this type of thing, the concept of a demigod who is sort of this combination between a god and a human is actually pretty common. I mean, the whole concept of Hercules, Achilles, all of this is fairly common there. So if we understand this from a mythological perspective, which again doesn't mean not true, but that at least part of what's going on in the early chapters of Genesis is an interaction with the larger mythology of the ancient Near East, and I think you would agree with that. Um, clearly that's going on in Genesis 1, and clearly that's going on in the flood narrative and all of that, then it's not surprising that we're going to see something like that appear. And it's also not surprising that what might be interpreted in a different mythology as a god having uh, sex with a human and, and having a child now becomes a fallen angel or a demon or mm -hmm. something like that. That's a fairly common reinterpretation of world mythology right up until the time we get to Dante and Milton and, and Frank Peretti, for goodness sake. That's right. Yeah, all the greats. Um I, I like Frank Ferretti, but maybe he doesn't need to be mentioned in that same category. <laughs> but you, you know the idea. So that's not terribly surprising. So from that perspective, okay, this is the type of thing we would expect in that narrative. There's a second interpretation, though, and this is where I think our young Earth, Earth creationist friends would land, which is if you take this literally, uh, then you do wind up with some type of situation where you know you're explaining the giants and all of that you're explaining goliath and and that's something that in my evangelical upbringing you kind of brush against every now and then not in a significant way and and all of that um and i should say just for the record even though i'm not a young earth creationist or an evangelical i don't have any animosity towards uh that way of thinking or or uh, the church I was brought up in or anything, I, I think it was enormously beneficial. So I don't have any animosity towards that way of thinking, whatever disagreements I might have with it now. I was, I was, it's always, I know you're about to finish the thought, but I was just thinking, we're saying giants, but I mean, really, we're just talking about people who are ad abnormally tall, not, well, that's a good not question. Not like the size it? of a house. I'm thinking of like maybe, like, isn't Goliath known to be about nine feet tall? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that is big. But it's not it's a big fella. It's not like Jack and the Beanstalk big. Right, right, right. So, yeah, there's there's degrees of giants. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's Andre the Giant. Yeah, exactly. What a, I'm so glad you brought him up. Right. So, okay, keep going with your thought then. Uh, so, I think that would be kind of where they would go, and then, you know, things sort of peter out from there. The one question I would have, and I, I actually am genuinely curious for any young Earth creationists who would take an interpretation along those lines, if... The giants mentioned in numbers and then Goliath are to some degree descendants of the Nephilim. How, what happened during the flood? Because here we have Nephilim pre-flood mm -hmm. getting busy. Then we have flood. Oh, good question. And then question. we have descendants post-flood. Really good question. Yeah. Yes. So that, that raises an eyebrow. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I you're probably going to touch on this. I just I feel like it's often just assumed that Nephilim are demons. Right. And it does say sons of God. And let me see what else is it? Are they described in the other way? Yes, yeah, it's just, it, twice they're called the sons of God. That doesn't to me that doesn't automatically mean angel or demon. So I think sons of God in this context probably would be a reference to an angel. Okay. I think sons of God getting busy with humans seems like something that the good angels are unlikely to do. Right. So A plus B equals demon. Okay. <laughs> Did you just make that up? Yeah. That's a great that's a great title if we ever do another demon right. episode. Because I, you know, in some, in our, for example, in episode 666, when we talked about Satan, I believe we talked about how we don't necessarily really know exactly what's the deal with demons and Satan. Like, we don't know for a fact that they were fallen angels. The Bible is not exactly clear on that. You had mentioned in your tradition, that's what's believed. And so that's your line of thinking. Yeah, the, the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so all I have to say, this though, if you're saying that the common definition or a way that you translate the sons of God means angel. And then obviously, like you said, well, this is not a good angel. It would, it, this passage that we just read could be the proof that Satan and the demons are fallen angels in a way that I don't feel like is anywhere else in the Bible. It could be, it could be. But then then the question is raised that like, I've been under the impression that demons are spiritual beings that don't have a physical form. Yeah. So, That'd be I'll, pretty disappointing I'll, for the ladies if they they were just spiritual beings in this chapter. Well, not disappointing. What do you mean? Well, clearly they wanted it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Really, let's just be careful. Be careful with everything you say. So, uh, let's just take it one step at a time. First, physical forms. Do you think demons can have? Can they have a body? So I like this is this is you you ask me definitive yes or no questions and I usually try and hedge on them because I don't know the answer to yeah. that. So I would I would say I'm open to that, but I wouldn't you know I'm not going to say yes because I but feel it seems like they they could. So angels work on the side of God, and so they're spiritual beings. But God could you could say empower them to have a physical form. Yeah, demons on the other hand are anti God. And why would God give them that ability if they're yeah, at their but base? See, when, as soon as you, as soon as you start heading down the road of why would God do X, yeah, uh, you're you're in really dangerous territory because there's there's no 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 but no no but there's a ton of things like why don't you just extend it to why would God allow the demons okay. to continue existing in the first place? I hear like you. you're now in the problem of evil. <clears throat> Yeah, which is an interesting discussion, right? But you can't peel off one 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 little okay. sliver of it. Okay, I think that's fair. I did, it's just another thing, I guess, that we're living in the mystery with. Yeah, I mean, you're you're essentially talking about metaphysics that we don't have any ability to to understand. That's why I'll never land on. A, no matter how you try, you try and box me in, I won't be boxed in. I'll break out of your box because I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be pushed into a metaphysical corner, not by you. <laughs> Nobody puts Benny in a corner. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> At least not a metaphysical one. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know what's going on with those demons? It's it's a wild wild passage. So there's another interpretation. Then, and I think these would kind of be among you know biblical scholars. I don't want to say that these are the two definitive camps, but probably roughly some type of mythological interpretation. Even if people don't want to use that word. Um, 
or some type of literal interpretation. But either way, the common theme is whatever this was and how, whether it carried on for a few generations or several generations with giants, it's, it's all, you know, we got it out of our bloodstream. We have moved on. Post-flood, is that yeah, what you mean? post-flood. Okay. Uh, third interpretation. Nephilim are still here. And this is where things start to get a little bit wild. All right, let's hear it. They were here. They're here now. And they were here pre-Adam. So we start to get into the pre-Adamic idea of a pre-Adamic society, which I think we've hit on a few times over the years. Barely, but I think we have mentioned it in relationship to the uh, Cain and Abel story. Yeah, and so I, and, and this is going to be a deep dive into the pre-Adamic culture or, or some of those theories and all of that right now. But it is interesting to think about, and I'm very actually very curious, you know, and you might not have fully put all this together, but like for your position where you're saying, okay, Genesis 1 is myth, and then you know from Genesis 3 on or whatever, we're, Two, we're right? in history. So you're essentially rejecting or at least not affirming a young earth position right i am i wouldn't say i'm a young earth creationist okay so from that perspective what do you envision is happening prior to adam so let's just say for the sake of conversation and again because i'm i'm affirming the historical reality of original sin so at that point once you do that it doesn't matter if we call those who did original sin adam and eve or say those are just labels doesn't matter so we're affirming a historical reality of adam and eve let's just say ten thousand years ago right? within within shooting distance of that what do you envision the world being like before then like is there yeah, animal life i think empty i think so uh, you well, I'd have to get the Bible right in front of me to figure it out exactly. But uh, I think I'm going to answer your question by starting this way. When you look at the creation of man's story in Genesis 2 and 3, there are differences. Yeah. it's it, They're not the same story, uh, even when it comes to the order. Or maybe, wait, am I thinking of, maybe I'm thinking of 1 and 2. Yeah, 1 and 2. Sorry about that. I said 2 and 3. So chapters 1 and 2, the reason I can argue that chapter 1 is not historical, but chapter 2 starts history is because the creation stories are... It, the creation story repeats, but in a different way than the mirroring, mirroring nature of Genesis 1 and going through the first six days. So, all that to say, when you start 2, it does seem to be a definitive beginning to mankind right there. So, I think what you're asking is, were there other humans prior to Adam? And I don't see how there could be. So, now when you say empty, like, I, I, okay, I'll do you want to, like, does that include animals? I'll have to get the I'll have to get uh, the exact chapter up because it will it will no, 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 like uh, this isn't nobody's gonna nail you to a cross <laughs> and, and say this is what you have to believe. I'm just no. I'm genuinely curious. Like, do, do you think considered. there were there was animals and plant life and all of that? Uh, I'll, I do want to answer your question. I'm not avoiding it. I just want to ha- oh, be able to see how it feels like an clearly. avoidance. Let's just let's just read it. If we're gonna go there, let's just read it. Hold on one second. I'm I'm loading up good old Bible Gateway. Which uh, so I usually like ESV, but for your sake, I could load up one of the ones oh, you, you like. You can do ESV; it's, it's uh, fine. No, what's yours? NRSV. Yeah, let's do some NRSV for Ben today, the listeners. All right, yeah. So chapter two starts, and w- that's where the seventh day actually happens, right at the beginning of chapter two. Then it goes into the. Uh, it's actually called here in the NRSV another account of the creation. Uh, so 
in, let's see, yes, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens when no plants of the field, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream, I'll, I'll kind of read on. Then, yeah, I don't think that's the juicy part. Here we go. Verse seven, then the Lord God formed man from dust of the ground. So, so does, I don't think there's any animals. Uh, like the creation of the animals isn't referenced in Genesis 2. So you can still have old dinosaurs. It's, so, it's I think, what we're getting to. It, it, it definitely doesn't have, I mean, at minimum, there's no plants when he forms man. And no plants. It seems like the implication would be then no animals. So in, in this telling then, Adam is the first being, plant, or animal created. So you would say empty, the earth has existed for 12 billion years or whatever, the universe has, but like God made a bucket, but he didn't put anything in it for 12 billion years. Yeah. But you're the one that said God can do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, that's true. It's true. <laughs> I just, I've, I've never, I don't, I think you might be the first person to actually land, and, and this is not a criticism, yeah. I'm in awe, this, the, to land on the position of old earth, but yet the dinosaurs are all... 10,000 years old. Empty old earth. <laughs> it's, it's an empty old earth. Oh, that's great. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to get derailed in yeah. that. So, but what, that's it. were you making a point or just interested? I was well, more curious. Okay. Yeah. So and, and, again, people can take this as far as, as they want, but because the rest of the episode is, is more about fun than it is about what I actually believe about yeah. the Nephilim. So I'm, I'm not claiming that I believe in a pre-edemic society. But I'm open to it. Like, yeah. I'm, of course, I'm open to it. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be? I don't think it contradicts. And I can explain how it doesn't contradict. Yeah, like, let me explain how you could have a pre-Adamic society and still have Adam be the first human in oh, a meaningful yeah. okay, sense. Let's do it. So we've we've talked about in Lost World of Genesis one when we covered that, and and many many other times over the years, this whole idea that what's happening in Genesis in the early chapters of Genesis is not material creation; it's functional creation. So the idea here is that um, there is when you, when you create something, you can create it as material, or you can give it a purpose. And that when you get into this is John Walton's argument in Lost World of Genesis one, which is a wonderful book, uh, highly recommended, uh, is is that what's actually happening in Genesis, when you get into the language and everything, uh, is God is creating functionally. He's giving purpose and order to pre-existing matter. Okay? Now, I want to just say, again, John C. Walton, great. He is not connected to any of the other crap that I'm about to spew, which is going to sound much crazier. So John Walton on board with me so far. Yeah, so you set the stage, yes. and now you're going in a different direction. So once you accept the idea of functional creation, and, and I'm dead serious about that, like however else crazy this gets, uh, the idea of functional creation I, I think is very, very sound. And, and, and we are on the same page here, you and me. Well, n not based on what you just said, but I think you might be a little confused. Yeah, so well, no, what, we're, we're on the same page about Genesis 1. The the first chapter of Genesis. So you think that he then flips over to Genesis two and it's talking about material creation? I think Genesis two starts to tell the actual historical th story in Genesis Genesis maybe one. Maybe reread reread the book. <laughs> <laughs> it might be time to reread John Walton, um, which I say with love. Yes, because uh, I, I think I'm not sure your argument entirely holds up, but that's not the purpose of this. I actually episode. wrote a whole paper about this. Okay. And I think you read it. Okay. But that was back well, in 2012, yeah, I probably. I don't think it quite holds up. Uh, but so once you accept that, then the idea of God making man in his image is not a 
physical creation. It's a purposeful creation. It's a creation of function and order and all of that. So now the idea of Homo sapiens in some form existing prior to Adam is not that's not in contradiction with the ideas of scripture. And that doesn't affirm that it happened. It doesn't affirm it doesn't happen. What all I'm saying is that that idea is not in contradiction with scripture. So now this opens us up to a boring old history, you know, and boring old science, evolutionary science. We could just go there or we can just dive headfirst into good old ancient aliens and all of that. Oh, really? Which it could could be part of it. We don't have to bring in the aliens, but they're there if we want them. And this whole idea of a pre-Adamic civilization. Now, this is very interesting, of course, because in, in Genesis, it talks about how God created man and then placed him in the garden. So Adam, if we again, if we're going to play the literalist game, is created within the narrative, whether it's historical or mythological or some degree of however those two all are mixed together. Adam is created in place A and then placed to into a different place from his creation. He's, pla- he's created outside of Eden and placed in there. So if you also want to go with the idea of some type of pre-Adamic civilization that's taking place, uh, then the idea that Adam is is taken out of that, made in God's image— he is given God's image, which I think everybody would agree is not a physical thing. God, if you if you believe God has a physical body, you're a heretic. Uh, I don't know how to say that any kinder, but you are. Uh, and and so to be created in God's image is not a physical thing. It, that at 100% is functional and purposeful and spiritual and all of that. So Adam is created with God's image and placed in the garden. He's now not a part of whatever he was before. That's true, whether he's the only human or homo sapien, or biped, or however you want to think about it at this point, or he's part of a larger pre-Adamic civilization. So you're saying he may have been created into a pre-existing civilization that he was taken from and put into it to start a new civilization. Correct. Correct. And this is where, like, if you, uh, and I haven't done a ton of reading on this, but Graham Hancock's a really interesting author. I've listened to him on, on Joe Rogan sometimes. And he gets into the, the, the and pe- you know, I'm not an expert, so if people want to say, oh, Graham Hancock's not credible at all, well, that's fine, but doesn't make a difference in my life if he is or not. Uh, he sounded credible when I listened to him, <laughs> which is it's not a great judge. And and look at you. You're listening to the Sci-Fi Christian. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> We're just doing a fun well, Nephilim episode. Yeah, so, so Graham Hancock gets into the whole idea of like that the pyramids are much, much, much older than they appear. When we get into Plato, Plato talks about Atlantis mm-hmm. uh, disappearing around the year 10,000. So you can kind of see how if what we're reading in the early chapters of Genesis is some degree of not linear ABC history, there is a strong argument when you look at the geological record, when you look at the scientific record and say, okay, that's the that's the world, the physical world that Genesis is coming out of, that there is some type of cataclysmic event that happens to the world at that point. Now, I'm not sure what you do with that. So it's empty old yeah. earth, empty old earth. There's, that doesn't happen. Yeah. But as long as you can affirm that plants and animals and all of that are existing to some degree, or at least open to the idea, there is this cataclysmic event probably about 10,000 years ago that potentially Plato tells us sinks Atlantis and all of that. And likely we know this is true because we know that there are cataclysmic events roughly every 10,000 years in the form of giant asteroids hitting the earth and things like that. Something just hit me that's never 
crossed my mind before, yeah. as far as I can remember. So I mentioned earlier that when you look at the creation of man in Genesis 1, we're seeing this happen on day 6, I believe. Genesis 2, all of a sudden, there's no plants, there's nothing from dust, God creates man. Okay, so that's why I've said in the past, Genesis 1 I don't take historically, but Genesis 2 is where I see his history started starting. Just for the sake of this argument, I don't believe this, but just for the sake of our conversation today, what if Genesis 1 is historical? And it's the uh, the first creation that God did, and it's a whole different uh, set of humans. This is a real theological theory called gap theory. Okay. So well, then what you're describing happened between uh-huh. somewhere between Genesis 1 and 2, uh-huh. and then the history that we're sort of a part of. So then there would be a, a huge event, like you're saying, yep. uh, some sort of crisis that, that ends that version. Genesis 2 starts the version that we are a part of. Yeah, th- this is a real, not exactly like, like that, because I don't know how into the ancient, you know, uh, civilizations and ancient aliens they get. But there is, there are, among this kind of literalist Genesis evangelical scholarship that's out there, you know, of course, there's the young earth creationist camp, but then there's other camps. Empty old earth, despite what yeah. I told you, is a real camp. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's people who, who think that. And then the gap theory is very popular as well, which is that somewhere in there, maybe it's between verse one and two of Genesis or between chapter one and two or whatever, there is this major uh, gap of time. Well, I mean, if you read now, oh, man, now that I'm really thinking through this. Um, and you know, and you're reading Genesis two verse five. No bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant uh, of the field had sprung up. Well, we're you're kind of imagining a wasteland, almost like an apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. So Genesis one, something happened after that that just wiped out all life on Earth. Yeah. They were there. They're gone now. God starts it back over with Genesis two, and who knows. Who knows how many times he started it back over? Yeah, yeah. No, so, this is all you. One hundred percent. I'm just making this up right now. Yeah, yeah. So no, Genesis is... one is the original yeah. creation, and then there could have been multiple other creations between Correct. Genesis one and the start of two. Two happens to be our story. So yeah. it's a start our story. You know, and and I don't remember the exact number with this, but what's shocking and what actually makes this shockingly plausible is that if humans were to, if we all just disappeared right now. It's like something like one or two thousand years is all it would take for every vestige of humanity to no longer. It would it would be as though we had never been here on Earth. It's like a shockingly small amount of time. Wow. And obviously, two thousand years is a lot of time, but not when you think about just we're all vanished right now. Mm-hmm. Within two thousand years, it's as though humans never existed. Or what if you know? I know there's varying beliefs on the rapture, yeah. but just hang with me for the for the fun of it. What if there is some sort of rapture event that takes everybody away? And like you're saying, a thousand years goes by, two thousand years goes by, everything looks new or sorry, wiped out. Yeah. Fresh slate. Another another start. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of options here. And 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 to your point, this could have happened however many times. We're not necessarily number two. We could be number fifty, hundred. Well and what if Jesus comes every time? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I in some belief systems, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, they talk about the is it the the sixth extinction or the uh-huh. seventh? Yep, we're yep. heading towards the seventh. Yep. So what if this is? So we saw Genesis one has the original, and then in between that, you've got two through five, yeah. and then uh, actually, I, can't, I, I probably no, messed the up the numbers there. No, uh, but the, you hear it. Yeah. So then we we probably are maybe the seventh version of a right of humanity and even so two other thoughts and then we'll get back to the nephilim number one 
is that if you look at Adam from the perspective I'm describing as a human taken out of a civilization and given God's image and purpose, that's shockingly similar to what happens with Noah. Mm-hmm. So you're, mm-hmm. you know, it's Genesis one through six, one whole cycle, and then Noah's another cycle, and mm-hmm. on and on it goes. The other thing is, if you really wanted to pull, pull on this thread, and I'm not claiming there's any theological support for this, the whole concept of the new heavens and the new earth is very similar to. T- just tell me more. I, well, I don't know exactly what you're getting. Like at. the whole idea of that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That's essentially what we're describing: is civilization as you know it wiped out, and the reset buttons hit. Yeah, but we see it as yeah. United. That's why I'm saying it's not theologically okay. valid argument. Okay, I'm saying if you wanted to take it as a mythological term, yeah, it's trying to describe this other thing. So you've touched on aliens just a little bit. I don't feel like that's going to be the bulk of your episode. No, 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 it's not at all. But I'm interested. I mean, I know. Oh, here, I'll, I'll say it this way. I used to work at a Christian bookstore. You know, there's lots of different yeah. fiction, Christian fiction books. And one Christian, Christian fiction book that was mildly popular was about the Nephilim being aliens and how they were coming back for another, I don't know, invasion or takeover or whatever. So as you did your research, yeah. I know I know how you went. Oh, we're going to get to you, some you, solid research here in a second. Some big research here. What did you... Where did you land on the alien side of this? Uh, aliens don't really come into it for me. So but t- I'm just saying, there's if you want to go ancient alien civilization, this is where we slot it in, pre-Edemic world. I thought the Nephilim themselves could be aliens. No, so here's what I want to say the Nephilim are. Okay. Okay, so at least throw out this possibility. Uh, oh, and by the way, pre-Edemic world, the whole story of Lilith would uh, add credence the to first, that as well. The first wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you were talking about how he was in one civilization, yep. taken out of there, put, yep. it was as if... In his original civilization, maybe he had a wife named Lilith, but God gave him a new wife in his new li- to yes. start the the new life. Yes, and her name is Life. That's right. So the idea here, and what I'm pulling out, is that there's this cataclysmic event wipes out most of not humanity, but whatever the precursor, the pre-Adamic uh, human civilization is, but not all of them. So there's a certain subset that survive. These are the Nephilim. So as humanity gets started, these guys are still around. And so what we're seeing then in Genesis 6 is those descendants and all of that, and and then that's coming together. And you think, well, that's fine, uh, but it's too bad they got wiped out. Oh, did they? Oh, did they? Well, let's just just take a look at some research I found. So this is interesting because – and – I'll give you my honest opinion because I do like to play along with this. I'll give you my honest opinion that this is these things are probably hoaxes or has an alternate explanation. But are you aware of giant skeletons being dug up throughout the 19th century? No, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, so there were and like there's actual pictures of them. So there's a giant skeleton, okay. wow. you know, and this is this is uh, the San Diego giant that was bought by the Smithsonian. So it's interesting if you look at the history of this. And at one point, the Smithsonian had a a department looking into the possible existence of giant bones in North America. And, you know, presumably the official story is it was all debunked by the historian or the, the, the Smithsonian. But what's interesting is the Smithsonian buys up a bunch of this stuff and they're never seen again. So the Smithsonian buys up these skeletons and they're never seen again. And a lot of them are like on burial grounds and all of that. And, you know, it's generally frowned upon these days to go digging up Indian burial grounds. So well, is it you said Indian burial grounds? So they, some of them are in similar places and all of that. Okay. But yeah. So again, my honest opinion, 
almost certainly not true, but I'm not going to say 100%. You know, when you showed me that that picture of the the giant or the dead giant, it got me thinking about the Bigfoot myth. Yeah. And could there be a connection between I'm not just trying to be funny. I, just, I mean, I know we're having sure. a funny episode, but I I'm wondering, do you think that what we think of as the Yeti or Bigfoot could be Nephilim? It could be. It could be. So, you know, if you just Google, you know, giants, uh, skeletons, North America, you'll find all sorts of stuff on there. And it's absolutely wild. So, you know, uh, it's hard to sift through all the fake news these days. Right. So what I did is I went out to a, a website that I discovered today. And I think it's very credible. It's called sciencerumors.com. All right. That's science-rumors.com. And it's a. What could go wrong? I actually have two, two lists that to go through, uh, very quickly. So this is from, uh, 2016. They published this article called 10 Evidences Proof the Nephilim Skeletons is Real. <laughs> I love how that's such a good headline. <laughs> right, right, perfectly. So let me just, in case that broke everybody's brain, let me give it to you <laughs> one more time. 10 evidences proof <laughs> the Nephilim skeletons is real. So you know this is going to be the good, the good stuff. Number one, the Bible is the biggest evidence. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, can't fight that. Uh, they go on a little bit more, but I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Two, Abraham Lincoln in 1948, I, I think they probably have that, the year wrong. That is wrong. St- stated, in first, <laughs> stated in first that the bones of the dead giants were buried under the soil in parts of America. So I saw that, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to be Mr. Skeptic, but I was like, come on, that there's no way that that's true. It's actually true. Abraham Lincoln uh, did give a speech at Niagara Falls and has a reference to the bones of giants. So let me give you the exact quote here. Now, of course, that that's not in itself evidence, but he says, the eyes of the species of extinct giant, uh, giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as our eyes do now. Whoa. That year is so wrong. Not even a little <laughs> wrong. I just, I just Googled what was his presidential term. Yeah, it was not 19. March, March 1861 to April 1865. I don't know where they got that year. I mean, so, if they had just put a 19 okay. instead of an 18, so, maybe. But this is this is what the fact checkers do. Is yeah. they, they, they look for little things like this, and they pounce on that, and then they discredit the whole thing. Okay, it's clearly a typo. A very uh, bad typo. <laughs> number three, huge-sized skeletons were found Humboldt Lake bed in Lovelock, Nevada. They measured 8.5 and 10 feet respectfully, respectively, which is huge. I think we can agree on that. <laughs> so, so far, they have some pretty big points. So, number four. This is an interesting story told by an Indian to William Cody while Cody was camping, camping on the South Platte. The Indian carried a huge bone in hand, which looked like the thing bone of humans, but much larger in size. When asked, he said it belonged to the giants who were once native of that place and were three times larger and could outrun and also carry a buffalo. So let me just say, if you're not convinced by an anecdotal story about an anecdotal story being told to to, to Bill Cody, Buffalo Bill Cody, I don't know. You're just a hater. You know, I think it is funny that this guy, they call him William Cody when he's very popularly known <laughs> as Buffalo Bill. That's true. So number five. In a museum in Lima, Peru, in the year 1969, I would I would 
<laughs> wouldn't count on that being the year. Giant bones were found and photographed by Glenn Kimball. As described by Kimball, the gloves of the mummies had finger of 10 inches, and the crown of the mummies could be worn around Kimball's waist. Wow. I mean, That's th- impressive. this is bigger than Goliath. Uh, six, near Franklin in a farm of Edinburgh's, and in the year 1841, some human skeleton were uncovered from a mound by removing soil up to two feet. Okay. Chapter seven. Chapter seven. Uh, or, excuse me, number seven. <laughs> How long is this? <laughs> we got, we got, we, it's a top 10 list. This story comes from an old legend written by the voyager and writer Antonio Pigafetta in 1520. Oh, very credible. Their team saw two Nephilim giants during a voyage. The giants laughed, sing, played, danced, and jumped on the sea beach and scattered sand around and on their heads, too, while playing. They were naked, and any average-sized human head would reach only their waist. These people were reported to eat raw meat and sweet root only and lots of water, and they lived in huts. I mean, this is... What number are you on? Oh, this is number eight. Look at number eight. This news comes from Kentucky, where two skeletons of lynx, eight feet, 7.5 inches, are all around eight feet, so I'll skip that, were found in a small room of solid rock, which was five by 10 feet only. How did that work then? How did they fit in there? Well, five, I, I imagine they went lengthwise. Okay. So it's a five by 10 foot room. Oh, got it. Five by 10. <laughs> number nine. In the in the in the first Chronicles eleven twenty three in Bible, the mention of a giant Egyptian is therein. And finally, number ten, in August 14, 1880, skeleton of giants were found. An eight foot length woman's bones and three point five foot child bones were found. In another grave, a nine foot man and another eight foot woman skeleton was found. Well, Ben, you just had a top ten list of some science rumors. What, where did this leave you? Well, it, it does make you wonder, uh, what are what, what what are you supposed to do when the Nephilim come knocking? And that's maybe where I want to end this episode, is uh, also from Science Rumors. No. no. <laughs> this is 15 Secrets of the Nephilim in the Bible to Know Nephilim Today on Earth. So we don't have to go through all 15. Please don't read 15. <laughs> But I do need to give a few tips. This is tips from science <laughs> Great website, science-groovers.com. Uh, I'll just go through a few very quickly. Do you think that at the, uh, what is it, the Bible? What, you know, what is it the Bible Museum or what's it yeah. called where they have like the ark and all that stuff? But- they're probably writing science rumors. Well, I know. I was thinking, like, do you think they covered Nephilim in that story? They would have to. It's right there in the chapter. Yeah, they could. What is this place called? It's in Kentucky, The, the right? Creation Museum. Cre- creation Museum. Yeah. yeah they, I, they have to talk about the Nephilim. Maybe. There. Okay. So this is just going to help you identify the Nephilim in your life. All right. So number one, the body language of a Nephilim is not something that you would call natural. It would be stiff and way too controlled. Do you ever see anybody who's a little awkward? Well, I mean, I think, shouldn't the first tip be they're giant? <laughs> Let's, let's let's put a put a pin in that one. As most ancestors of the modern day Nephilims were warriors and defenders, the Nephilims have an extraordinary skill at hand to hand combat or with weapons. Their aiming skills are better than many of the champion archers. So I know you don't go to bars, but if you ever go to a bar and you see somebody just bullseye after bullseye after bullseye, darts. You're talking about darts, yeah, yeah. on that dartboard. Mm-hmm. Nephilim. Uh, number three. This is a good one. The telepathic strength of Nephilims is very strong. Whoa, where is this coming from? (laughs) 
Omnilingualism, or the ability to speak, write, or communicate in different languages is seen in Nephilims. This makes sense because of the Tower of Babel. Right. So if you're talking to somebody and then, say, a Russian guy walks up beside you without missing a beat, right, right over to the Russian guy, Nephilim. Yep. Five, Nephilims can communicate with animals as well. I think they mean like telepathically, not just like, oh, who's a Well, they boy? are omnilingual. That's true. So who knows? Six, Nephilims have the great skill of reading body language. I have a question for you. Yes. Is, you know how like uh, sometimes when you pluralize a word. Yeah, they're, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do yeah. you call them the Nephilim or the Nephilims? I, I, I don't think I've ever said the Nephilims. Okay. Uh, Seven, Nephilims have a slow rate of aging, which enables them to live longer than regular humans. You know, people like Keanu Reeves, they say, oh, he looks... You know, Paul just, Rudd. Yeah, exactly. Nephilim. Not a giant, though. Uh, true. We have Noticeably a- not a giant. <laughs> Noticeably, that, that feature is absent from the list so far. <laughs> Eight, the Nephilims are more strongly built and have a higher resistance to injury than normal humans. Okay. Nine, owing to high endurance levels, Nephilims can withstand powerful blows, which would have caused severe injury to a normal human. 10. Nephilims can outrun any human when it comes to speed and agility. So, so far, they seem to mainly be describing professional athletes. Yes. Yes. Minus the omnilinguistic. And the telepathic. Yeah. Non-aging. Uh, 11. The healing factor of Nephilims is much higher than regular humans. Listen to this, though. You think, okay, they, they heal. They can recover from injuries caused by gunshots, burns, or knives at a higher rate of recovery. 12. The Nephilims possess the supernatural ability to get prophetic visions about the future. Whoa. This makes them aware of any sudden attack from enemies and helps them prepare for the future well. They're good at planning ahead. Nephilims are immune to human diseases like cold, virus attacks, or even cancer. Coronavirus. Yeah. Anti. Who in your life do you know who hasn't gotten COVID? You. Nephilim. (laughs) 14. I'm going to make it all the way through. Large skeletons were found to be buried in the Humboldt Lake Bed in Lovelock, yeah, Nevada. We got this one already. And number 15. In 1950, leg bones measuring 120 centimeters were found during road construction in southeast Turkey. I don't know that. How did those <laughs> other two get on the list of tips? Those are like, that's from the previous list. They're like, we need to get 15 and we have two left over. SciencerUmors.com. You know, I have a feeling. And I might be a little prophetic. I know it says it's a sign of Nephilim, so please don't attack me. I have a feeling that this won't be the last time ScienceRumors.com appears on the show. Uh, Ben, do you mind if I ask you some closing questions? Sure. Thank you for that. Uh, You, like we mentioned, back in 2019, we had the idea to do redemption episodes. And if you were to go back to episode 724 from May of 2019, we time-looped. The, my old time travel episode without you and then we did episode 725 it's time to travel a time travel talk yeah which was a great episode it we was. even did a part two eventually all from may 2019 but i remember we had this idea to do nephilim way back then yeah and one way you kept putting it off is you said i'm reading the book of enoch it talks about nephilim i have to finish enoch and then for a while you had to take a break from enoch yeah so we haven't really talked about Enoch in this episode. Tell me about Enoch. What did you learn from that reading? You know, it was so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate to say that, but it's true. So because Not a lot. I did some research on Enoch to prepare okay, for this that's episode. That's great. And I found out that, so one of my favorite uh, people in the New Testament, Barnabas. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but I'm a big fan of Barnabas. And he considered the book of Enoch scripture. Uh, other people that you would have uh, recognized uh, also were in favor of it, but... It was ultimately rejected 
because it contained prophecies pertaining to Christ that I think didn't work out. Didn't didn't pan out. Uh, so, you know, people on both sides. Right. When it actually comes to Enoch and Nephilim, just what do you remember of what they tackled in there? Do you... <sighs> Not a lot. Okay. But it was covered? Yeah. From what you can remember? Right. Uh it does. It, I'll, I'll tell you what I found, and you tell me if this sounds right, right to you. Uh, let me see if I highlight in, it in the book of Enoch in the Kindle. The Nephilim are called Watchers. I do remember that, and that's in Noah too. The the the, the book. Or sorry, the movie Noah. Yeah. Yes. So uh, then the so the there are angels who fathered angel human hybrids, and those hybrids were called Nephilim. This is all according to Enoch. Now, I wanted to lead into. You can. I see that you're looking up Enoch. That's totally fine. But as I as you're doing that, I wanted to ask you. In the end, real life, serious question, not our jokes. When you read jokes. Genesis 6, do you see Nephilim equaling fallen angels? Yeah, but only in a, I would take the mythological interpretation. So you don't believe there was a time in history where an, a fallen angel... Could be. I mean, I'm open to it. Like, on all seriousness, I'm open to the idea that things like that historically happen. What do I think Genesis 6 is describing? I think it's an interaction with the mythology of surrounding cultures as well as the culture of, of ancient Judaism. Because I, before this episode, I always would just say Nephilim are probably just giant, or not giant, taller humans than normal. Maybe they they were some, uh, some line of humans yeah. that just happened to be maybe athletic and tall. Uh, but, and like we, we read, heroes of renown. Right. But now that I'm really digging into, uh, sorry, as I'm preparing for this episode and digging into the Sons of God comment, yeah, there's nowhere, there's there's virtually nobody who doesn't uh, like if you look past or present. So I like to look and see what the people think originally. Yeah, and originally they 100. percent I should yes. say I, I shouldn't say 100, percent but they mostly considered it to mean angels. If yep. you look at the early early readers of scripture. Yeah, I, I think that's so, clearly intended. I think it's clearly intended in the spirit of the passage that it's describing non-human beings. Yeah, so and that is a little bit of a surprise to me. I'm not sure what I was personally taught about this, but what I've been believing is these were just tall humans. But I but if you look at what people That's the worst interpretation possible. And I don't just you mean, mean for interesting ways? Well both. <laughs> I don't think it fits the text and it's boring. Yeah, so but again, I just want to make sure I make this point. The early readers of this scripture didn't think that. They thought it was angels. And it seems like a lot of people even today would translate this as meaning some sort of spiritual being, whether it be angel or fallen angel. I mean, that's clearly the the intent of the text is to communicate that. I that do does, you know, again, I don't know what you do with that well, from a historical perspective. But Well, I mean, like you said, the flood happens and then we don't really have to worry about it anymore. But then you had other people saying, well, what about Goliath? Yeah. Or numbers, there's reference to, to giants and... Yeah, so it is something to ponder. And then I guess I know we're wrapping this episode up. I can feel the momentum going that direction. Well, but I'll just, the I'll just quickly list. say, yeah. though, that there is the whole discussion on was it a localized flood or was it a global flood? Right. So you could potentially say localized flood. So not not every human or Nephilim or whatever you want to call it. Not everybody died in that flood. Do you want to take you should take a highlighter sometime through the first eleven chapters of Genesis and you highlight the ones that are actually literal. 
Because I think that <laughs> I think you say two through eleven, yeah. But I think it's two through eleven, but not this part over well, here. Well, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just discussing the options. Like we're just laying yeah. it all out there. I mean. This book of Enoch looks awesome. I should read this. It is Listen pretty wild. Yeah. So Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. Enoch contains unique material on the origins of demons and Nephilim, why some angels fell from heaven, and an explanation of why the Genesis flood was morally necessary, uh, as well as having some prophetic exposition on the thousand-year reign of the Messiah. The older sections, mainly in the Book of the Watchers, are estimated to be from around 300 to 200 BC. This sounds great. It is pretty great. I might want to check this out. So, all right, listeners, that's it. We did it. Did we redeem it, Ben? I think so. Are you redeemed? Well, I never needed to be, except from Jesus. But, uh, so sorry, Jesus. So there are, uh, but, but definitely, I mean, I don't think episode 69 had anything from sciencerumors.com. Uh, no. You know, I, I know the music's playing... I don't know where this comes from, but as I'm looking at other options of who the Nephilim could be outside of what we've already discussed, some people think it simply means offspring of Seth, one of Adam's sons, of course. Yeah, or or Cain as well, you know, the mark of Cain and all of that. Yeah, so there are options out there, but... Well, that's the other thing, just as a, a, a final moment, and I this will be another thing where I'm, I'm genuinely curious... Oh. Sorry, you say your thought and I'll say my thought. Well, my thought might lead to a discussion. Let me just say this quickly then. In Judaism, sons of God, in quotes, usually refers to the righteous or the children of Seth. So, okay, I was a little bit wrong here. That I, I, As I had been doing my research, I found mostly it seemed like people were pointing at that as meaning angels. But I, I'm happy to see that there's a human explanation because that's where I lean. I lean as this being oh, this not worst, spiritual. Worst, worst explanation. Definitely human. Okay, go ahead. So... Cain gets, he murders Abel, right? He gets kicked out. And then like a chapter later, he's in a city. Well, he said, no, even before that, he says, uh, if they, when they find me, they'll kill me. Yeah. It's like, who's going to kill you? Isn't that a pretty wild argument for some type of pre-Adamic civilization? No, not to me. How would you interpret that? I would interpret it as, and I think you get on board with this. When we read the Bible, we're hearing certain stories, certain parts of history, but not all of history. So who knows? How many other children of Adam and Eve there were out there by that point? So wait why would they want to kill him unless they had some sort of connection to the situation? So brothers or sisters of Adam or of uh, Cain and Abel? Uh, that's the worst interpretation. Did you mean uninteresting or like boring? <laughs> I feel like that makes sense. Like yeah. so, we know of the story of Cain and Abel, but we we don't know every human that was born to Adam and Eve. So so you're saying Adam and Eve had other kids? Lots of other kids. That's just the like. I don't want why, why I, I don't want to be gross, but the one thing that's really weird about the young earth creationist position or even, you know, your position, incest is baked in. Yep. I that just it is. I guess for whatever reason that's just how God had it start up. So you were saying in your version oh, what's your version? Uh, that that before there were humans, you're saying biological what you evolution, really believe. What you believe, yeah. No, you. Oh, I don't I'm against incest. One hundred percent. Good. You no. are against incest in ninety nine point nine 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 percent of it. cases. I'm, I'm just acknowledging that it looks like God used that to start used it. He gave them no other option. So, he told them. In fact, he tells. Th- wait a second. I, wait a second. I believe in biological evolution, and then Adam, as a Homo sapien, is created in the image of God. So, okay. When you say that, you already explained it earlier, but I want to yeah. restate it because that helps yeah. me sometimes. So, so Adam through evolution 
uh, became a man, and yeah. then God kind of yes, like maybe breathed his spirit yes. into him. God and, gives him the image, and of so God. Well, what about the dust stuff? Made him out of dust. Again, That's just evolution. It, no, it, it's not literal. It's okay. not literal. Okay, so, so Adam, take that literal. So your story, the way you would say it, then, and I, I, I love asking these questions. I hope you don't mind. Real quick here, Adam is through, through evolution. He is a human. He, a yeah. hu- a humans are made, but multiple humans. Yeah, or so at least Adam, some type of humanoid. So Adam is special because God breathed yes some sort of spiritual thing into him. Yes, but there's still other humans that had become th- that there's had some, come some to be through of evolution. Homo sapien, yes. Okay, and you know how they have um, they found skeletal records of uh cro yeah cro magnum yeah so you'd say that that was kind of what came first uh, could be i'm open to it like i i don't know enough about that to say for sure but i would say that that belief is 100 percent compatible with the bible and as well as the catholic tradition wow so yeah. I'm, I'm totally on board with that as a possibility but i'm not i don't know enough about that to hitch my horse to that wagon specifically, but I would just say my default position is I'll just accept evolutionary biology. I know, and I was just thinking, most people listening probably don't have their own podcast where they have to talk about what they believe. It's weird when you actually have to yeah. answer what you believe and then try to figure out how does it all fit together. Like you, listener, and you, Ben, and me, we have a bunch of different beliefs based on what we've read and studied. But as you're starting to knit them together, it's like, wait a second, does this make sense? Yeah, and this is the interesting thing about humans is we all like to think we reasoned out our beliefs. Yeah. That's not what happens. You arrive at your beliefs, and then you figure out the reasoning after So that. I'm right now trying to answer all your questions and thinking, I I think this all hangs together, but I could definitely so be So I wrong. just want to paint a scenario for you. Yeah. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, says God, to the two humans. Yep. And Adam says, we got that, God. We are on top of that. Gives evil wink. And then he thinks for a second and says, God, what about our kids? Figure it out. Do what you got to do. So I don't think you can make the argument. If you're saying, and I know this is gross, yeah, but if you're saying that there were no other humans outside of Adam and Eve, incest not only was something God used, it was something he required to fulfill his commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And you're saying the way to get around that would be to believe in creation evolution. Oh, wait, how, no, evolution. How do you? I just believe in evolution. But isn't and, there a way to say it? Like, yeah, you uh, could say, like, uh, cre- uh, cre- I can't yeah, yeah, what is the Creation phrase? evolution. Something like that. Evolutionary creationism. Yeah, that's like that. Something yeah. like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily hitch my, my wagon to, to that. Yeah, I think it's evolutionary creation. I mean, what I believe is that science describes what happened, but it has no concept of meaning and purpose. Religion, philosophy, all of that describes meaning and purpose, but doesn't necessarily describe what happened. But it, they're interacting with each other. Yeah, I love this episode. I love this conversation. I'll just admit there's things I I think I believe. And as I'm trying to put all the thoughts together, I, I'm realizing... Who knows? Some of this, yeah. just like we've always, we've always mentioned on the show, I'm open to mystery. You're open to mystery. I think there might just be some things I don't totally understand. Yeah. And that's where I'll leave it for tonight. And incest. Was that the best? Or incest is not the best and other news. Except for what it was for those few years when God was getting the human race going. I know. I mean, I think most people listening to this, I, I, I know we're after the music here and we're just keep on going, but uh, I think... That's maybe, that's probably the best place for the incest conversation. <laughs> I think a lot of listeners probably have always just been in my camp where it's like, yeah, I mean, it's not... 
Obviously, we're against incest, but it also is the way but God. Not but not one hundred percent of the but, time. And, but so we're against it in concept. But then we also have been thinking, well, God has. That's how God started the earth. Yeah. And I think I've even heard people talk about in the gene pool at the beginning. It was not as bad for the, for like because like right now incest. It was okay back then. That's kind of. I mean, <laughs> you say it as jokes, but I feel like I've been taught that from the pulpit. Have you ever heard a message about that? No. Oh, yeah, definitely. We, I mean, because I have to explain it somehow. That's the beauty of not being in the younger of creationist camp anymore. It, yeah, but I mean, so if you had, listen, I'll just ask you the question. Would you rather believe in a pre-society? Yeah. Or this other version that we've been this discussing? This other version. That we'll try to sweep Incest. under the rug. Is that what was best? And other news. I feel like this could be a whole episode. <laughs> uh, All right, I feel maybe like... we'll do a deep dive on on that for the uncensored feed. All right, listeners, if you this is your time to to go to patreon.com forward slash the Christian. But for now, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Van Devoto. And we're the Sapphire Christian signing off. Goodbye.